We're going to get into our message today, and we are continuing our series, What If? But I want to open it by telling you a story uh, about a few months back, early on in quarantine, when all the restaurants were pretty much shut down except for fast food uh, drive-thrus. And me and Luke and Daniel, I believe, were the only ones that were with us. We were on a little road trip heading east, and we left in the morning. We were going to get breakfast, and we went and we stopped it. We were going to grab Bojangles here in Nightdale, and it was just lined up around the building. I mean, you thought they were, like, opening the new iPhones or something like that, right? I mean, it was just lined up, lined up, and we were like, no, we got to get going. We head down a little farther. We stop maybe at Zebulun, I think. Same thing. We're like, I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting. And by this time, um, we had a little illness called being hangry. Anybody else ever get that? Um, our family has it. I think it came through Sherry's line, but it just came to me. But anyway, I get hangry and it, it's rough. And so we rode on a little farther. We get to Wilson, North Carolina, and we stopped at the exit there. If you ever stop at Wilson, there's like, you know, Cracker Barrel and Chick-fil-A. And so we we're going to stop at that Bojangles and we get there. The line on the drive through was not that bad. So we pull in and it's moving a little bit slow. And there's this guy in this truck in front of us. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody, most people picked up on the pattern, right? They circled around if they came in a different entrance and they got in the drive through line the way it was lined up. But then somebody, you know, them people, somebody has to do it. They're going to try it. They come and they act like they're just going to try to cut into the line. And me, me, I'm thinking, uh-uh, buddy, you're going to go to the back of the line. You're going to wait like I've had to wait. I, you don't understand. I'm about to snap. You know, I have not eaten. I'm hangry, and I'm going to hurt somebody. And, you know, I don't, I'm just going to snap. So I would not even think about it. But guess what? The guy in front, and he was, he was moving slow. He wasn't moving up like he was supposed to. And there's etiquette, right? Y'all know the etiquette, drive-through line etiquette, waiting in line etiquette. He was not moving up. I was already frustrated with this guy. My children were probably saying bad things about him. And I probably corrected him, or I may have participated. I don't know. Um, it's, it's a little fuzzy now, the details. But <laughs> then this car moves up. They come up. They're going to try to cut the line. There's like four or five cars behind me even. And what does this guy do? This selfish jerk lets the car in and lets them cut line. So it was all about on. I reached for the baseball bat. No, I'm kidding. I was tempted. I wanted to go. I wanted to fight this guy. And I... You know, if my children were saying bad things, I was by this time talking about how dumb this guy was and that maybe his mom didn't even like him very much. I learned from my children. I know I'm supposed to set the example, unfortunately. I get road rage and I get hangry all at the same time, and it was just a perfect storm combination. And then, as we sit there, we wait, we wait, we wait, we wait. And I'm telling y'all, I, if I'm nothing, I'm real, right? I'm just being honest. I don't have it all together. And so when I say I was talking bad about the guy, I was talking bad about the guy. And we finally get up there. We get ready to take our order. We, we order, and this guy is still moving slow. He's, he's not moving up and filling in the gaps. And I'm like, you know, two feet makes like 10 minutes difference, right? That's what my brain is thinking because I'm hungry. And so we get up there, and we finally get up to the window. It's time for us to pay and get our food. And do you know what that jerk in front of me did? Paid for my meal. Gosh, what a horrible person. I mean, I'm so thankful I didn't jump out and bust his windshield out like I was tempted to do. I mean, this dude paid for my meal. He's a jerk. He's not supposed to. It was probably just to spite me. I bet he can see my facial expressions in his rearview mirror. I say that to say this. Have you ever felt that you were absolutely right only to realize you're wrong. 
I knew I had that guy pegged. I knew he was selfish. I knew he wasn't thinking about anybody else. He wasn't paying attention to the line. And he's going to let somebody just cut in the line, not thinking about everybody else who had been waiting behind him. I just knew I had him pegged. He was a jerk. But really, in all truth, I was a jerk. I was a jerk. And then he humbles me, and God humbles me, by this guy being kind enough to pay for my meal. And I realized so very clearly, probably one of the clearest times of my life, because I, I'm a fairly nice person. I don't usually get too bit out of shape except in traffic and when I'm hangry. And, but I, I'm usually a pretty nice person. And I just knew that I was right and he was wrong. But it was all the other way around. He was right and I was wrong. I was the wrong person in this situation. And sometimes you think you're right when you're really, truly wrong. In Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn in a Bible there or look on a phone, we also have the Scripture up here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Jesus says something pretty powerful. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those are few who find, excuse me, those who find it are few. So Jesus, we've, we hopefully know his name. Jesus is the son of God. He is teaching in the, the gospel of Matthew. It's written down here. And he says that the way to destruction the way to lose your life is a broad road and many will enter through the gate that that road leads to. He's saying many people will miss salvation. He said the road that leads to life is narrow and few will find it. Okay, this is Jesus, y'all. Jesus says that a lot of people are going to miss the narrow path that leads to life. Skip down a few verses of verse 21 and see where Jesus picks up. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, meaning when he comes back in judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's scary, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that scary? I, I mean, if we're being real, if we're being honest, the, the, the message of our time, even from many people who attend church, is um, the truth. Now, this is the truth that God loves every single one of us, but we've somehow misunderstood that and twisted that to mean that it doesn't matter what we do or how we respond to Jesus. You see, God's grace is for everybody. Every single person in this world has an opportunity to experience the grace of God, but only those who do the will of His Father, Jesus says. And that many will enter through the broad path and the broad gate that leads to destruction. Everybody's excited about that. If You might think that you're in the line uh, to Disney World, but it's not going to be what you hope, and a lot of people are going to enter through it. But the road that leads to life is going to be narrow, and it will be difficult for people to enter through that way. And here's the truth that I want you to wrap your mind around this morning, is that according to Jesus... And ultimately, Scripture, where his words are recorded, the Bible, it's easy to think you're on the right path and really be on the wrong path. Now, as I've said, that is not 
that is not popular, that is not the modern idea that we hear from a lot of people, is they just want you to think that, you know, if you just are a, a nice person from time to time and you don't bust somebody's windshield out in a Bojangles drive through line because they're letting people in in front of you and you don't do some bad things, that everything's going to work out all right and you're going to enter through that narrow gate. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And you can easily be on the wrong path. And to state it another way, let's think about it this, this way. You may believe that you are for God, but actually be against Him. Okay, I'm being kind of a downer here, right? But there's some good news. It's not that the gospel is some secret hidden treasure. Now, it does, Jesus does tell some parables that talk about, you know, it's a treasure that you go and you find. And, you know, there's a pearl of great price. You sell everything. It does say that. But what I'm saying is the Bible is not a code that we really have to break. If we are earnestly reading and seeking after God, he's going to reveal it to us. He says that many times in many different ways all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. But the truth is... That the scripture does show us that you will find God when you seek him with all of your heart. You seek him with all of your heart. Truly seeking and finding God doesn't happen by accident. We will not truly be seeking after God just by accident. Now, God will bring people into our lives and he'll try to get our attention. And uh, hopefully good, godly people will be sharing the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus. They'll be living and, and acting like Jesus. And that will open up doors and opportunities but you don't find Jesus by accident. You seek after him with all your heart and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The Apostle Paul, when he was known primarily as Saul in the earlier part of his life, he's a perfect example of this. This guy was seeking God in a sense, but he was looking in all the wrong places. He's looking in all the wrong places. And when we see the accounts of his, what we call his conversion in Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26, it's crazy. In the book of Acts, there are three accounts. The first account is Luke, the writer of Acts, who is just telling you what happened when Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then in chapter 22, he is telling you what Saul says when he's giving the same, a different account or a version of when he came in contact with Jesus. And in 26, it's just another opportunity. He's sharing what happened when he came in contact with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And we're going to look mostly at chapter 22 today. We're going to reference chapter 9 a little bit. So if you want to kind of hold your place there, if you've got a paper Bible. You see, this is Paul's own account from his perspective when he encountered Jesus. And he recounts his spiritual pedigree, how he had all the right answers in Philippians. In, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, you know, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Jew of Jews, so to speak. I was a guy who was after God. I was chasing after God. I had all the right answers. I knew all the right things. He could, I mean, if, if they gave uh, synagogue perfect attendance pens like he used to give when I was a kid in Sunday school, he'd be like, and just unroll, man. He'd have a pen for every week, every month, every year. I mean, he was there he knew all the right things he said as to the law the old testament law of god he said i was a pharisee which means he was like a religious lawyer he knew all the right answers and then he says this as according to zeal being zealous for god i persecuted the church he said, I believe that the church, now this is all him looking back when he's, he's saying this, and the idea that we get is, he says, when it comes to 
defending God's honor, I believe that the church was completely against God, and so I tried to destroy the church. I was zealous for God. He believed with all of his heart that this new cult of the church, or he called the way, was a blight on the faith of Hebrews, and, he, and it needed to be eradicated. And he believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was God's man to destroy these false teachers. He just knew it, or so he thought. And here's what he says in Acts 22. Acts 22, verse 3. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, this was a high-ranking Pharisee, Gamaliel, that he studied under. And so he said, if you want to compare Pharisees, I studied under one of the best. So I was trained. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, you hear that theme again? As all of you are to this day, I persecuted this way, talking about the church, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He was throwing men and women in prison for being Christians. As the high priest, verse 5, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He was doing all he could to either kill Christians or throw them in prison because he believed they were so against God and so he was God's defender and he was going to take care of it. We see just a little bit earlier in the book of Acts he gave approval to Stephen's stoning in Acts chapter 7 and 8. And then here's what it says in Acts chapter 8 verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. Ravaging the church. And entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Why? Because they had hurt people? Because they had stolen from people? Because they committed murder? Why? Because they were Christians. He was out to destroy the church. He was absolutely sure that he was on God's side. But he'd soon be corrected. Look at verse 6 in Acts 22. He says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. But what had it just said in the scripture? Who did Saul believe that he was persecuting? The church, right? Christians, because he believed that they were false teachers who had followed this false rabbi named Jesus who he knew had been hung on a cross and died. And he was pretty sure that he was still dead. Even if the body was stolen, even if whatever, even if they faked it somehow, he knew that he was on the right side. But this Jesus who had resurrected and who then had gone back into heaven and received his glorified body, the one that normally you wouldn't be able to look at without dying, this Jesus is now appearing to him on the road and he said, you are persecuting me. Jesus is saying, you are persecuting me. When you persecute the church, when you attack the church, when you throw Christians in prison, you might as well be throwing me in prison. 
When you arrest and when you kill Christians, you might as well be killing me is what Jesus is saying to him. Uh Oh, (laughs) that's to put it lightly, right? Have you ever you remember those times in your life when you got caught? You got caught, you know, you're you're cruising along, doing pretty good on the highway. You're making really good time. And then whoop, whoop. This is out of the police. (laughs) Blue lights flashing behind you. That is not fun. That is not fun. It is scary. And you're like, oh, my goodness, here it goes. You know, all these different things. I mean, it's not fun to get caught. It's not fun when you're a kid. You get caught lying. It's not good. It's fun. Not fun when you get caught cheating in life. It's not fun. It's scary and terrifying. And this is the greatest example of getting caught. God comes down out of heaven to stop you. That's what Paul is experiencing right here. I mean, you thought it was bad when your mama turned around after she'd warned you two or three times. And you had a really, really kind mama if she waited two or three times to warn you. Man, I mean, I'm telling you, (laughs) you got a warning, right? But he is terrified at this point. He finds out that this way that he is attacking is not a band of deluded followers of some dead rabbi. They are not what he thought they were. He is totally convinced in a moment that Jesus is and was the Messiah. He is the Son of God. In a moment, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was absolutely, absolutely on the wrong side. And Saul's in trouble and he knows it. The good guy finds out that he's the bad guy. He knows now that he's the bad guy. And there's a time in, in nearly every one of our lives when we have that, that, that understanding, we come to that understanding, and they find out that we're on the wrong side. Just like when Steelers fans found out last week that they should have been pulling for the Browns. I wish Leonard was here, man. I, was, I wrote that for him. I hope you're watching, Leonard. But truthfully, if you're blessed, you find out that you're on the wrong side. You find out that you're an enemy of God before you take your last breath or before Jesus returns. Because here's the truth, y'all. Some of us have believed the lie that if we're just kind of nice people and we do good things for people and we do more good than bad, then we're on God's side no matter what. But every single one of us, the Bible says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just because you grew up in church and your mom and daddy grew up in church doesn't mean that you're on God's side unless you surrender to him. Unless you do the will of the father and you do what he says, that's how you get on God's side. And until you do that, every single one of us is against God. We're an enemy of God. And God, thankfully, through his son, Jesus, made a way so we don't have to be an enemy of God. That's the good news. But every single one of us is an enemy until we turn to Jesus. And Saul is thinking, this is it, right? I mean... Think of those times when you really got in trouble in your life and you thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. That's where Saul is. He's like, this is it. I'm done. I thought I was defending God, but I've been attacking God. He's, I am done. God is going to destroy me. This guy loved the wrath of God. 
And he had told a lot of people about the wrath of God, and they were going to incur the wrath of God if they didn't follow God. And so all this stuff he'd been preaching is now weighing on him. But God's not done with him yet. But he's not left unscathed. Look at verse 9. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. So Saul is struck blind from his encounter with Jesus in all of his glory. And if you're ever hit with a conviction that you're on the wrong side, I pray that you listen and put yourself in the position to be redeemed. Because he was terrified and he knew that this was probably going to be it. But God had mercy on him. He said, look, I want you to go. And so he's all ears. He definitely is at all eyes. He can't see, right? He's all ears. His, his senses are focused on listening to everything that God said. God said, get up and go and wait. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do through you and in you. That's the Bobby paraphrase. But he says, go and wait. And so Saul does that. He cannot see how to get there. So he latches on to anybody around him and they lead the way as he goes into Damascus. And my prayer for you, for you and for me, is that we do the same thing. Listen to the word of God and get ourselves in position to be redeemed by God if we have not done so. And here's what happens that Paul doesn't mention in chapter 22 from Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. I'm just going to read a couple verses. It says, And for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So he had gone and he had fasted, not eaten or drank anything in three days. I told you about me being hangry, right? And that was after, you know, eight hours of not eating. I was about to wreck shop. This man fasted, did not even drink anything for three days and prayed continually. Now put yourself in the perspective of Saul. He knew that he was the good guy, but then he finds out he's the bad guy. He knew that he was for God, but then he finds out he's against God. He thinks that he's about to be destroyed and God says, but hold up, wait a second. Head there and wait and listen. Do you believe his prayers contain the prayer for God to save him? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, he's saying, God, have mercy on me. Uh, you know, to take one of Jesus' examples, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, like the man who stood there and just said, beat his breast. I guarantee you, there was probably bruises on this man's chest where he's praying, Lord, have mercy on me. Don't hold against me everything I've done. I, can you imagine how many times the stoning of Stephen replayed in his mind? Can you imagine how many times the tears of children as he drug away their parents and threw them in prison? Can you imagine how all of that replayed in his mind? And he's saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Don't destroy me. Don't give me what I deserve. And so he's praying for three days. He's fasting. He had not had anything to eat or drink. 
And I guarantee you he was praying for God to forgive him and save him. And so he's waiting. He says, I thought, I thought I was your friend, God, but really I have been your enemy. And so he's waiting. And I guarantee you emotionally and spiritually, he is trying his best to wave that white flag. He's trying his best to surrender. But there's a problem. Everything that he thought was right up to this point was wrong. And so he's probably thinking, what do I do? I don't know what to do because I thought I had all the answers, but I was wrong on all the answers. What do I do? Have you ever felt that? God, I don't even know what to do. But here comes his answer. God always shows up right on time. And this time he does it through the man named Ananias that we read about a moment ago. Look at verse 12, back in 22. And one Ananias a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and I saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. He's been ready, guys, to surrender. But seeing the resurrected, glorified Jesus wasn't enough to rescue him. He saw that and he was still in a mess. Being miraculously blinded by Jesus wasn't the answer. He was still told to go and wait to hear what he needed to do. He fasted for three days, and that wasn't the answer. That's a pretty spiritual person who will fast for three days. I struggle after three minutes. He would, that wasn't the answer. Praying undoubtedly for God to save him and forgive him was not the answer. He was still waiting to hear what needed to be done, what he needed to, how he needed to respond. Being miraculously healed by Ananias wasn't the answer. And even being told of this new ministry that he was going to carry out was not the answer. There was still something he needed to hear to be free, to surrender completely. And what was that answer? What was that answer? What were the terms of surrender that God gave to him through the mouth of Ananias? Verse 16 said it. He said, and now, why do you wait? Other translations say, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized. Get up and be baptized. Wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. He had done all those things. He had experienced all those things, stuff that you and I have never experienced. And, and many of us have never fasted for three days straight or, and not even had any liquids to drink. But yet he still was waiting for what he needed to do to surrender his life to Jesus. And then God tells him, rise, get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of Jesus. And then he would be free. And that's the same thing that you see through the book of Acts. That's the, see, the same thing you see through the book of Acts for anyone who would seek to come and follow Jesus to surrender and be set free. 
And that's the same thing he says to you and to me and to every single person in this world is if once you believe that I am the son of God and he believed it, I, be, I know he believed on the road that day. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of God, but he still had more to do to respond to God's terms of surrender. He still had more to do. So when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you respond the way God tells you to. You turn away from what you used to do, what you used to think was right. He thought he had all the answers, but he realized he didn't. You meet him in baptism and you have your sins washed away, calling on the name of Jesus because it is the only name given to men by which we must be saved. And we contact the precious blood of Jesus when we're baptized into Christ. And we're forgiven and free. That's the same thing he said through every person who became a Christian in the book of Acts. And it's the same thing he says to everyone who will come now if you read his word. And God says to turn away from the wrong side. Come contact the blood of his son in baptism through your faith and call him Lord. If you realized that you're on the wrong side, but you haven't obeyed God's terms of surrender, then we can understand simply from what Ananias said to Saul is that your sins are still on you. Your sins are still being charged to your spiritual account and that you're guilty, but you don't have to be. Just like, like Ananias told Saul, he said, get up, wash your sins away through the blood of Jesus when you're baptized into Christ and call on his name and he will make you free. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is your day. Maybe you thought you were a friend of God. Maybe you thought you were on the right side, but maybe you're realizing because the Holy Spirit is working on you that you've done things against God that you are still carrying on you. So here's the question, what if? What if you surrendered? What if you surrendered and stopped trying to do it your way? Stop trying to be like Saul did for so many years. He just knew he was right. And all the while he was destroying and attacking the church. Maybe today is your time to surrender and the challenge is for you. Maybe you haven't experienced the ministry that God has been preparing for you because you will not or would not surrender. You've been wanting to do it your way and you've been wanting to do it the way you were taught when you were young or the way that some religious tradition says, but do what God says if you want to be free. So what if you and I surrendered today? Now, if you've already done this, if you've already been obedient to what God's Word says, then you're free. And I'm not trying to lay a, a burden of guilt on you. But if you haven't done what God says, then you need to be free. But if you've done that, then I want you to make sure that you're living like a free person. That you're not living like someone who is bound by sin. And that you're going around as a changed person so that other people can see and hear the good news through you and in you. But if you need to be free today, if you need to surrender today, respond to God's terms of surrender. Not anybody else's. Only what we see in God's word and be free. And just like Ananias said to Saul, I say the same thing to all of us. What are you waiting for? When I was a kid, 
Some Sundays I would go to church with my grandma. And her preacher was a man by the name of Harold C. Turner. You know you're big time when you use your middle name or initial, right? That's what he was known as, Harold C. Turner. And he was this, had this big voice and he had the full suit on. He was a real preacher. <laughs> we were walking out the back. And I was pretty young. But my cousin was a little bit older and she had not yet given her life to Jesus. And we were walking back and at that time we did this thing called shaking hands. <laughs> Something we don't do anymore. Hopefully we will again. We were shaking the preacher's hand on the way out and he just put his hand on my cousin's arm behind her elbow and said, you know the water's still warm. Man, that hit me in the heart. I don't know if it hit her, but it hit me in the heart. And it was a long time before I surrendered my life to Jesus in baptism and had my sins washed away, but that has stuck with me to this day. And so I say that to you, it's another way of saying, what are you waiting for? It's saying the water is still warm. And what he was saying was, they had this nice heated baptistry and he's saying the water's still warm, we can baptize you right now. Just because the church service is over, doesn't mean that your invitation is over to follow Jesus. The water is still warm. And I hate to say it, I can't promise you that the water's still warm when we might baptize you today, but the effect is still the same. <laughs> you can be free. And I'd rather be cold on this earth than hot for eternity. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you and challenge me to make sure that we are surrendered to Jesus based on what God says in his word, what Jesus says. Do not be one of the people that is on that broad road that leads to destruction. Everybody thinks they're good. Make sure you're on the narrow path and you follow what God says. Surrender today. What are you waiting for? Let's sing.